0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks so much for being here with me today. It is Thursday, June the 4th. On today's show, I'll be welcoming back Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko. We're going to talk about an issue in New Brunswick where a doctor traveled into Quebec returned back to New Brunswick and did not self-isolate, And now there has been a cluster of COVID-9 cases linked back to this doctor. And today, while the province announced its first death from the novel coronavirus, so Paul will be joining me in about 15 minutes to talk about the potential ramifications of that particular incident. And to end off today's show, well, I'm going to be welcoming in the host of NL Newsday, Brett Menear. He spoke with BC's health minister today about the situation in Delta with respect to the Hospice Society that has pretty well been held hostage by its chairperson. And she has denied potential members who were being screened for religious beliefs or for their position on medical assistance in dying. So Brett will join me to end off the hour. But to begin today's show, well, the Delta Hotel in Kamloops is set to reopen on Monday and there is a long list of protocols that it will need to follow. I'm joined on the line now by its vice president and general manager, Brian Pilbeam. Brian, how are you doing here today? I'm well, thanks. How are you today, Jeff? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for asking. Good, good. So I mean, I'll, I guess I'll just start with a general question. Excited to actually see the reopening of the Delta Hotel here following this weekend.
2: Yeah, as we are. Um, it's so excited. I mean, it's been a long two, two two and a half months, I guess, since we've been closed and sitting, waiting, watching, preparing. And, um, you know, we feel that the time has come. Yeah, you know, we're ready to do this in a, in a safe and responsible way. and. I know our team is excited to come back and get together from a physically distance uh, standpoint, but uh, get together and look after the guests. Uh, hopefully more coming to Kamloops shortly.
1: Yeah, so I guess, uh, have you already started taking bookings already for next week?
2: We have, yeah. We've opened up our reservation system uh, last week once we knew that the go-ahead would uh, likely be for sure. So we do have some arrivals on Monday, June 8th, and that will sort of uh, continue to grow over the next few weeks. It's certainly not what a typical business level would be, far below that um for now but hopefully that builds uh, through the summer and we can salvage a bit of a decent summer
1: now you'd mentioned to me that in order to go about reopening safely you had some 18 pages of protocols to go over i'll just kind of go over a few different points that i know uh, many businesses are having to face and i'll start with you know just your capacity how much capacity is the delta hotel going to be allowed to have is it a 50 percent, or is there another number is there a magic number that you're working with here of how full you're allowed to be
2: Yeah, I think 50% is a pretty good guideline, although, you know, in our main meeting room, uh, Ballroom Rivers, uh, typically we could do a function size up to 200, and, and of course, 50 will be the max capacity. So, outside of that, our restaurants, you know, we've taken, uh, is about 50%, you know, we've taken about 50% of the seats out in the lobby. Um, so we just need to maintain that distance. It's a hotel that was just newly renovated and designed really for social experiences. So uh, as I sit here in the lobby of the hotel right now, we've got all of the bar stools removed. Uh, slowly, we'll look to add some of those back. But generally, I think it's 50% capacity and opportunity is, is a good number to work with.
1: And is that applied to the rooms as well? Or can you, can you uh, book all the rooms if you needed to?
2: um well we could we could uh do that because there will be distances with walls uh between guests of course um you know, we will continue to space uh the rooms appropriately and and and, and you know through the uh, guests that we book, we'll certainly want to make sure they're as distance as much as we can, but there's no nothing that prevents us from renting each of our guest rooms. Uh, that said, you know there is a much different experience um, and a level of service, I guess, that we have to deliver. So not only the cleanliness of how we clean the rooms, um, but things like stayover services. Uh, you know, we won't have housekeeping going in to look after guests during their stay. It's only once they do check out and then a proper clean and a deep clean and a a resting period between the next person that checks in.
1: Now, when you're talking about that cleaning process, I mean, uh, it's obviously going to be very extensive. You mentioned you're not going to be doing overnight services while people are having their stay, right? Not cleaning the rooms in the midst of someone's stay. You'll wait till they're actually checked out before you go about doing that. Is that going to be a much longer process? I mean, when we're talking hotels, I you know you never know who's going to be in there before you. You never know what they did in that room before you got in there. I mean, the, there's probably some level of concern. I would think you know if you're if you're checking in immediately following another individual into a room. So how does that cleaning process work? Is it more extensive than normal? And uh, you know you mentioned a bit of a lag period between when guests can stay. How long is that?
2: Yeah. Um, so there's going to be a minimum of four hours between when people check in to check out after the cleaning's completed. Um, ideally for us, we're going to leave the room you know, for at least a full day in between. But we've reduced the number of, of rooms that our guests... Um, uh or sorry, rather our, our housekeeping room attendants do clean. So they're spending more times in the room. The products that they have uh, are, are of a compliance basis. Marriott's done an extensive program. We're following those protocols following the protocols created by BC hotel association. So the process of cleaning uh, will be intensified. Um, we've also got things like wipes that we're leaving in the rooms for our guests to use while they're in there as well. Um, so everything has just been really slowed down. I think our world's been slowed down overall and certainly our process will processes will be much more focused and, and deliberate and, uh, and cautious i mean we want to make sure that everyone that comes through the door uh feels safe and um you know they're gonna they're gonna feel that i think by uh you know we're all going to be wearing masks that's just a protocol that we are all going to do there's certainly the plexiglass shields uh, at our front desks and by our, our grab and go uh, we've got a, a starbucks coffee shop that's in here um so i think people will feel that and it's just a new way to communicate with our guests to make sure they feel comfortable uh, in this new normal as they say
1: perfect um, now does the I correct me if I'm wrong but I believe the Delta does offer valet service does it not
2: we did uh, so it's a great question it's one of the services that we will no longer uh, offer so uh, things like bellman uh, Bell person service, the LA parking, those were all things that were, were encouraged and part of our, our brand promise. Um, you know, obviously in an extreme circumstance, we're not going to leave our guests uh, hanging, but if they do request it, but it's not going to be something we typically do. Everything is just handled um, differently, so you're not going to handle people's vehicles or their luggage unless they're, they're desperate for the support.
1: So... What has this done to staffing levels? I mean, I I am sure that you guys had to lay off a bunch when you had that, you know, two and a half month uh, period where basically nothing was going on in the hotel. Maybe, you know, a few staff to do uh, administration work, maybe some cleaning work as well. But for the most part, you know, a pretty dead hotel. Um, You know, have you been able to hire back a lot of your staff now that you are starting to reopen?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. We did, you know, on March um, 18th when we closed, we laid off 103 of 108 employees. It was a devastatingly sad day. Um, for all of us, with a hard time, but, uh, you know, we've, we've reached out to our employees now. Um, amazing how many different levels of... Um, comfort there are in returning to the workplace so some have a lot of apprehension uh, some uh, have a lot of anxiety about it you are reassuring them we're going through the training process but large in part you know things have changed a little bit for some people um, but generally most are looking forward to coming back you know they've taken the best that they could of the time off and uh, we've got about a third of them going to be back now for the opening and then their business levels um, increase through the summer hopefully in the next year Um, you know, more and more, will come back and return to work. Um, so we're very excited for that. We've got a tremendous team and looking forward to being able to employ uh, as many of them again, as we can. Um, we know that business levels won't be what they were for quite some time. The hotel industry is one that's going to be one of the slowest to return. Um, so, you know, we're hopeful that it could be uh, you know, 40 or 50% what, what a typical summer would be. Uh, and slowly build back
1: over the next 18 to 24 months. Now, Brian, uh, you you know, I talked about the fact that you had mentioned 18 pages of protocols here for for how you're going about reopening. We talked on some of them in terms of the cleaning process, the PPE that's going to be required, uh, you know, the different segments like the banquet halls and the the restaurants and how those are going to work. Is there any other specific highlights that you can think of out of all those um, documents that, you know, people will notice? If people are walking into the hotel for the first time next week, what would be a, a noticeable change that we haven't discussed yet?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we've covered an awful lot about the plexiglass, you know, signage. uh a fine line of having signs everywhere so people, you know, become immune to them, but also knowing where they'll go. So just directional signage of where you can go. Uh, as I said here in the lobby now, we've got arrows on the floor, and please stand here to get your coffee, uh, directional arrows so that people can keep their, their, their distance apart. So it's physical distancing is a big part. Um, protocols for elevators, you know, it's, it's two people in an elevator unless you're in a traveling pod. Uh, so it's how do you communicate all of those things to people. Um, but it, it's largely the cleaning processes, you know, the food service, um, the element of service of how we do, and we've got servers that may be wearing masks. You know, how do they effectively communicate with our guests? Um, you know, trying not to, trying to be attentive but not to overbearing in the service that they offer. So, I think we covered most. of the P.E., the cleaning, you know, the hand hygiene, the training. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes you know the products that we use our laundry processes uh, even how we wash dishes the wear washing in the kitchen all has a very specific process now to make sure that uh, things are done the right way
1: awesome brian well that's pretty much all i have for you i did want to ask one question uh just in regards to the hotel industry as a whole because you are you know part of the the chair of the bc hotel association um yeah. you know is is june 8th is that a date for you know other hotels or is this just specifically for the delta
2: Yeah, this is for us. Uh, You know, I've seen some of the colleagues around Vancouver that we're talking, Vancouver areas that are looking at... uh, june 1st we had a number of hotels that were used that as a, a benchmark in, in terms of their opening dates. lots are still closed you know we, we saw about half the hotels around the province that closed over the covid time uh, and there are some you know you think of some of the real five a couple five-star hotels in vancouver that just do not see a business case for them to open at this point in time so there are some that will remain closed for an indefinite period um, but lots seemingly are seeing the opportunity in june as the world starts to open up a little bit to do this safely uh, and they will do that over the next number of weeks
1: Awesome stuff, Brian. Well, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, looking forward to seeing some business uh, around downtown. Maybe we'll see a few more faces finally because it's been pretty quiet over the last three months.
2: Uh, absolutely. No, it's uh, desperately needed, and we'll just know that we'll do it in a safe way, and uh, it's a good time. So thank you.
1: That was Brian Pilbeam, Vice President and General Manager of the Camloops Delta Hotel. Of course, like I mentioned, set to reopen here on Monday. So... After this weekend, I'm going to see some hotel business starting to ramp up in Kamloops. Well, it's time for a quick break here, but coming up next, I'm going to be joined by Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko talking about some issues in New Brunswick when it comes to a doctor who decided to go into Quebec to pick up his daughter. Of course, something that makes a whole lot of sense, but he did not self isolate when he came back into New Brunswick. And now there's a whole cluster of cases that can be connected back. We'll be chatting about that after this, so stick around and the Jeff Andrea Show. We'll be right back.
0: The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and radionl.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on Thursday, June the 4th. Health officials in New Brunswick have confirmed the province's first death related to COVID-19 today, and the timing of this is a bit interesting because a long-term care home in northern New Brunswick is experiencing an outbreak of the novel coronavirus, which is connected to a recent cluster of cases in the Campbellton region. The Campbellton COVID-19 cluster started when a child in the region was diagnosed on May 21st. Five days later, an individual in their 90s tested positive in the same zone, and the next day, the province announced a person in their 50s had tested positive, and the that two people, two previous cases, excuse me, were linked to that individual, and that person was a healthcare doctor who had traveled to Quebec and failed to self-isolate upon his return to New Brunswick. He says he's not sure whether he picked up the virus during that trip to Quebec or from a patient in his office. He has now been suspended by the province's two, one of the province's two regional health authorities and the provinces as the RCMP to investigate to determine whether charges are warranted. Now I'm joined on the line to talk a little bit more about this case by Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko. Paul, thanks for coming back on the program today.
0: No, it's my pleasure, Jeff.
1: Yeah, we had this item on our list on Monday when we spoke, but we didn't get to it. And given what happened today with the first death being reported in New Brunswick, I thought it was a good time to revisit the subject. So I guess just uh, first and foremost, I'll start by getting your uh, kind of reaction, I guess, as a lawyer to what happened. Um, You know, you see a a medical professional, a doctor in this case, who went out of province to pick up his four-year-old daughter. So it's kind of a tough situation here because he was doing this for his family, but he did not self-isolate when he came back into New Brunswick. I mean, this is something that, you know, of all people who should know to do that would be a a doctor, a medical doctor should know that he should self-isolate when he returns to Quebec or sorry, when he returns from Quebec to New Brunswick. What, What are your thoughts? I mean, should this be taken to some sort of legal action as a result?
0: Oh I, I mean I think there's certainly going to be some sort of legal action as a result I and mean, the, the issue is what will it be uh, and it may be a, a whole lot of legal action and it is really unfortunate you just identified the issue um, you know we, we all know about the risk uh, and there is a provincial order in place right so there's no excuse for not knowing about the risk you might have some sympathy for the fact that he was going to get his daughter but the obligation after that was to self isolate for two weeks Right, mm-hmm. uh, And we all have that obligation. And you know about it that much more when you're a doctor, right? You, th- th- there's no excuse. So foreseeability really is there. From the perspective of the legal obligation, of course, the, uh, the government is asking the RCMP to investigate for the purpose of some sort of charge, whether or not it's a you know, violation of provincial legislation or something else. Uh, but there's, of course, the other legal obligation, which is in negligence. Mm-hmm. Right. We've got 12 people who are connected to this doctor, um, you know, may have been asymptomatic, whatever, but, you know, connected to him uh, as a result of this trip where he failed to do it. It's reasonably foreseeable if you travel to Quebec and come back and and break the rules by not self-isolating that you potentially um, could uh, could be the source of an infection of, a, a you know, the virus getting out in a province where they had none. So it's foreseeable. Is it negligence? And can he be sued is the next question. And I think he's got a big concern because what is the the uh, standard for negligence? Well, you've got a duty of care. So there's a duty of care we have to everybody in this circumstance, right? A breach of the duty. Uh, clearly, he breached the duty because he didn't self-isolate. And then damage resulting. Well, we know there's the damage resulting. One person's dead. 12 people became uh, ill, became sick with with COVID-19 as a result. So, you know, those steps of of negligence are there. And I would, you know, think about the damage to the society uh, and the economy and the people's lives. We've got the people who get sick. Yeah, that's one thing. But New Brunswick was ready to basically reopen. And I'm sure they've had to put a lot of things on hold. Businesses that were waiting to go back to operate. Uh, have to put that on hold, and they potentially could sue. And any, anybody who, whose uh, who's, who's business was on the line, uh, all the kids who were waiting to go back to school, the parents who were waiting to have their kids go back to school in New Brunswick could have done that. Now they have to put that on hold in various areas. Uh, what is the damage? What is the cost? We're talking you know, almost incalculable when you think about it, like it's impossible to calculate, but it's a, also a, a huge number. And, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen for this doctor. And, you know, I feel sorry for him. He's obviously, uh, you know, expressed some real contrition uh, as a result of it. And he's lost his his privileges at some hospital. Um, He's got some big problems coming his way. Uh, It's very unfortunate, and you feel sorry for him. And and you don't, you know, it's a lesson learned, uh, no doubt. But the expense could be huge. But every one of us has to keep this in mind when we think about the risk, because there is a potential risk that you put other people to if you don't follow the rules uh, or uh, you're sick and you go to work or something like that. You potentially could put yourself in a position of being negligent and being sued, you know, sued by your neighbor, maybe just because you you damage the economy, Mm -hmm. not necessarily because you make them sick
1: how much of a factor when we're talking about the potential for him being sued as a result of this you know when you're going through a case like that and you're talking about in this specific incident you know he went to quebec he went to the province that is worse the most worst off in canada when it comes to covid19 do you think that that would play a factor in a case like this right if you went to like PEI or something, we probably don't have this same conversation, but the fact that he went to Quebec in this the province where they are experiencing some of the worst incidents of COVID nineteen in Canada, I feel like that's going to have a, a bit of a factor
0: here. Oh, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. I mean, of course, first of all, if he went to PEI, he'd come back and he wouldn't have COVID nineteen, right? He went to Quebec, which is the hot spot in the country, and went back and failed to self isolate. It's a, it is a different circumstance going to Quebec. So that you know, again, speaks to uh, that first step of um, you know the duty of care. Uh, the duty of care is that much higher for a doctor. The duty of care is that much higher when you're you're taking that step of going to Quebec. Um in a circumstance where there's uh, you know the huge outbreak is in Quebec. It's mm-hmm. much riskier. So uh, you know, does it make it, uh, does it make it worse? I mean they just have to find the uh, the, you know, if it gets to court, if there is a lawsuit, and I would imagine there's probably lawyers looking at it right now in New Brunswick. Um, if there is a lawsuit, then yeah, they're going to be looking at that and, and to establish negligence, but I, I don't think they've got to go that far to establish negligence particularly when you've got a government order to self-isolate, right? Yeah. Um, and the fact that he's a doctor, I mean, hes he is really sort of in many respects in the worst-case uh, situation because the duty of care is extended to so many different people, all his patients, right? The duty of care is, is, is wide. Uh, the uh, The breach of the duty is that much more easier to establish when you've got somebody who should know better, who is a medical professional, who... Should know to abide by the rules mm-hmm. so I mean anybody who's who's thinking of traveling out of province right now and not self isolating uh, if you're thinking of coming to b c from uh, Alberta or back and forth i mean there's a, a <laughs> you, you run that risk uh, if you come back to uh, british columbia and you don't self isolate from Alberta for two weeks and and you make somebody sick, you could be fall into the same category it might be a little bit harder to to prove in some respects but maybe not because it's a government order you must self-isolate so if you fail to self-isolate and it turns out you're a, you're a uh, asymptomatic carrier and you make somebody else sick you gotta prepare for the damage that that may cause and if the damage causes an outbreak of of a small group of people shuts a business down slows down the schools reopening you know you could be on the hook for millions of dollars yeah <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's, the, that's the risk that you take. And I don't think people, we're all sort of the, the uh, physical distancing police these days, you know, and uh, everybody I talk to has their opinion about when they see other people uh, standing close together. People need to take those things into consideration. We can't be, we can't be um, sort of careless when it comes to respecting those people. Those obligations, uh, the clear obligation for self-isolating upon returning to the province is a directive by the government. So it makes it fairly easy, but you really do run the risk uh, if you're careless, particularly with that, uh, of facing a, facing a lawsuit and, or I'm- many. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, obviously we're talking about a, a group of people here that have been impacted by this decision not to self-isolate and to continue to to practice you know, medicine uh, at a time when he was clearly uh, carrying COVID-19. Now, he says he doesn't know whether he got it from Quebec or potentially from one of his patients. I assume that really wouldn't matter at this point uh, if you can't actually physically prove where he got it. The fact that he did continue to practice when coming back from out of provinces is, is the issue here. And I assume that this would be something, you know, it's highlighted by the fact that this is a medical professional who should know better. But this, I would think, would apply to anybody, right? We look at the the situation in the chicken plants here in, in B.C., and one person probably went to work sick and ended up getting another you know, 20-plus people sick as a result and shutting down the plant. I mean, these are the kinds of things that you know happen if someone goes to work sick. And I'm assuming that we can take this lesson here from this doctor and see what happens when it comes to the legal ramifications here. But those could be applied to someone. You don't have to be a medical professional to be facing these kinds of allegations
0: no i mean if you're working on a pipeline project in alberta and you come back to kamloops uh, and you don't self-isolate immediately upon your return you run into the same situation you run into the same potential uh, because we have a we have a order from the government that you must self-isolate for two weeks you fail to do that i mean it's it's common knowledge now uh, that it takes uh, basically 12 days uh, on the outside for incubation of the virus Uh, We go 14 days for the sake of safety uh, because you may not develop symptoms right away and you can still have it. You may not develop symptoms at all. Um, But if you fail to abide by that, that, um, you know, order to isolate, self-isolate for two weeks after returning to the province. Yes, you run into the situation where if somebody gets sick, anybody gets sick and you don't even know that you gave it to them. Uh, You could be in a situation where you could be found to be negligent and be on the hook for any damages that result. And again, the damages are, you know, uh, reasonably foreseeable damages. Well, what are reasonably foreseeable damages of you spreading a virus during a pandemic? They're huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's not just the person who gets sick. It's the next person who gets sick from that person. You know, so it's a, it's 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 wide and expansive. You you can do so much damage, and it is foreseeable that you're going to do that much damage because of the you know people that you that that other person's going to have contact with. Mm-hmm. You can't foresee everybody who they're going to have contact with, but you can foresee the the risk, and that's all you need to foresee for the sake of establishing establishing negligence in this circumstance.
1: Yeah, and I, I think another lesson to take from this, although it's not necessarily anything to do with with legal issues, I know yourself as a lawyer, that's sort of what we're focused on here, but I mean, this doctor who we haven't named for specific reasons, but uh, his name is out there, and he has been experiencing, you know, a lot of repercussions from the public a lot of you know unfortunate racial issues that are now coming up as a result i mean he doesn't have to go as far as the legal system to see that you know this is something that a lot of people took a lot of issue with and you know he doesn't deserve some of the comments that are being thrown his way but the public is clearly going to speak out if you're you know at all can uh, you know even possibly connected to some kind of cluster like this
0: yeah i mean the the racial aspect of it that he spoke about in um, some recent radio interviews is really disturbing ethnicity has nothing to do with it uh, he made a he made a mistake uh, his mistake has repercussions and you know it doesn't matter what his ethnicity was anybody could have done that mm-hmm. It's really Absolutely. unfortunate that the uh, it's really unfortunate that it it took that turn in the community the separate issue that you know, leaves that out is that people are understandably angry. Um, you know you expect a medical professional to not do that. Uh, you can you can see how he would persuade himself that it was a safe thing to do, but we have a you know clear clear instruction from the government not to do it. Uh, he drove to one location. He picked up his daughter. He, you know, drove right back. Um, the uh, Quebec, they, you know, they share a border, and there's not a whole lot going on unless you're going into uh, one of the cities. The, uh, you know, the areas along the border that's mm-hmm. just forest. Um, I, I drove there once, and uh, there was not not a whole lot to see. I can tell you, no people. So you'd think, um, you know, in those circumstances, he persuaded himself to do this. It is somewhat understandable. Um, and uh, but you can see why people would expect more of him as a medical professional and that is why there's this you know public backlash and the public backlash is is um, i mean it's expected uh, aside from the the racial aspect Mm -hmm. of it uh, and it's uh, and it's understandable and we should be able to have discussions about these things and we need to be able to have discussions about these things also because we need to educate the populace i mean i'm talking to you about this Uh, for a specific purpose, and that is so everybody knows uh, that everybody is clear that this obligation exists. It can't just be the government, you know, having to come out every day at 3 o'clock and reminding us. Uh, All of us need to be reminding our neighbors.
1: Well, Paul, lots to break down there. So really appreciate you taking the time to come back on the show here uh, three days after Monday. Uh, I think it was an appropriate time to have this conversation. So thank you so much for this. Really appreciate it, and we'll do it again soon.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Nice to speak with you.
1: That was Paul Doroshenko with Acumen Law Yeah, talking about this issue in New Brunswick when it comes to a medical doctor not self-isolating after a return back to New Brunswick from Quebec where he went to pick up his daughter. It's a really sad situation, but definitely one um, that is worthy of review. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. And coming up next, I'm going to be joined by NL Newsday's Brett Manier. He's got some good stuff coming up on the show this afternoon. We'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on right now at Riverside Park. Yeah, we said the event was canceled, the Black Lives Matter rally. Well, it may have been canceled by the organizers, but that didn't stop people from showing up. We'll get into that in just a
0: little bit, so stick around. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Thanks for sticking with me here on Thursday, June the 4th. Uh, Before I get into Brett here, Brett Manier, NL Newsday host, is joining me here in studio. But I just wanted to play a quick clip here because we have Victor Kaiser on scene right now at Riverside Park where this Black Lives Matter rally is happening. I know I mentioned it in the news at the the top of the hour here that the event was canceled. But uh, that was just the message from the organizers themselves. But it didn't stop people from showing up. And, uh, you know, providing a demonstration. Here's a quick clip of what's currently going on down at Riverside Park. So that's just a quick snapshot of some chanting that's currently happening there. I'd say there's well over a hundred people down there right now. For the most part, physical distancing seems to be being applied, so that's good news. And uh, you know, I think it's important that these kinds of rallies are taking place. Brett, you were actually set to uh, go down there this afternoon, and then the event got <laughs> uh, uh, canceled, so you didn't end up going. Are you having some regrets now? Uh,
3: no, because Victor's sending good stuff back. But uh, yeah, no, I did want to. I did want to be there, and then uh, yeah, the organizers pulling out with just uh, one hour left to go uh the question I, I raised at the time was uh well is i mean one hour there were going to be people coming in from salmon arm and mm-hmm. all the rest of it i mean uh i was willing to bet that not everybody was going to get the message and people were probably still going to be there so victor went down and sure enough
1: yeah uh, and it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty good scene down there like i said lots of people i'd say well over 100 people the chancer you know clearly on display the signage is out um, and, and Victor, I'm sure, was going to be back with some more good stuff yep. here throughout this afternoon. And I'm sure this is something you're going to be looking at a little bit here uh, when NL Newsday kicks off around 3 o'clock. Yeah, I'm putting
3: together uh, m- more of uh, Victor's audio so that we can hear the voices of some of these people, uh, uh, you know, outside of the chants and that kind of thing to talk about uh, their experiences and whatnot. I've also got and uh, uh, Chief uh, Ron Ignace lined up to come on the program uh, today as well to talk about this concept of systemic racism and. Canada, it's uh, th- there's this myth, right, that we as uh, white Canadians kind of tell ourselves that there's no such thing as systemic racism here. Uh, yeah, we don't have the history of slavery as the United States mm-hmm. does, uh, even though there was there were some slaves here in the Atlantic uh, coast before it was outlawed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but North America's first race riot actually took place in Nova Scotia um, way, way back in the day. Uh, You know, and we've got other things like the Indian Act, right? This is a piece of legislation that still exists to this day, which uh, a lot of people believe is... Uh, very, very responsible for a lot of the conditions on on mm-hmm. uh, reserves and and uh, you know and a lot of the problems that are faced by Canada's Indigenous community. So uh, Chief Ron Ignace is going to be around to talk a little bit about that, and uh, he's also going to talk about some uh, something else too. Uh, just when we were chatting, he he uh, said he had a bunch of uh, elders on iPads today. Oh, yeah. uh, so <laughs> they're working on kind of a unique project. So we're going to talk a little bit about that because it was kind of cool. Uh, so I figured we'd squeeze that in. Um, also on the program, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about the uh, Delta Hospice Society, the the issue down there, because it's potentially uh, quite a precedent setting. It's it's uh, almost, I think, unprecedented for the province to have to step in and uh, and take over uh, a hospice as they're going to be doing in Delta. So I, um, I spoke with uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix uh, first thing this morning because I really wanted to drill into what this is going to look like in, in, in February because it seemed that there was a lot of details out there that we didn't know. Yeah. That they were going to end the funding and, 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 and that was it. But I was like, who, who's going to run the joint? Who's actually going to, is there going to be a facility open on, say, February 26th of, uh, of 2021? So I got some answers from uh, Adrian Dix and we'll I'll be playing some of those.
1: Yeah, I'll be definitely looking forward to that. I mean, it's a story I know you've been following now for several weeks here and Mm -hmm. and had, uh, you know, the MLAs from Delta, both of them on your program here in the last week or so. Uh, You had another person on yesterday to talk about the issue as well. So it's something that I know you've been following quite well. And I'm just intrigued to see, you know, what the responses were from the health minister. And uh, yeah, just talk a little bit more about what's going on in Delta. But also, of course, right now, the whole news world is focused on what's going on in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that really comes back to Kamloops here today with what we're seeing at Riverside. Park Thanks so much for coming in, Brett. Really you appreciate bet. you giving me the preview. And uh, just for everyone's note for programming, Brett, you're taking the day off tomorrow and Monday. So Indeed. I'll be filling in on the uh, ArtNap Garden Garden show at yeah. 3 o'clock you starting tomorrow. Looking forward to that. And then I'll be stepping into the host chair for NL Newsday from there on out. So enjoy your time off, but uh, we'll we'll look forward to your show here this afternoon. You bet. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. That's Brett Minier, host of NL Newsday. And you can tune in at 3 o'clock, starting at 3 o'clock here this evening. I know we're going to be talking about the modeling and the COVID-19 numbers because those are going to be coming out at 3 o'clock today with uh, Minister Dix and Dr. Bonnie Henry. So stay tuned for that. All right, well, that wraps things up for me here today. So thanks to all my guests for joining me, and thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, if you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday.